Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin announces a surprise deal on an alternate version of the Build Back Better bill. Lawmakers on both sides react. The U.S. economy is shrinking, and it has done so for the last two quarters. Are we in a recession now? How is the Biden administration reacting? An economist weighs in and gives us some advice. Former Democrats and Republicans are trying to put together a third political party. It's been tried before, but will it succeed this time around? COVID numbers are rising fast in L.A. County officials might respond by bringing back the indoor mask mandate, but some city officials are pushing back. President Joe Biden was in a video conference with China's Xi Jinping this morning. This is the fifth talk between the two leaders. The call began at around 8.30 Eastern time. It comes ahead of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's possible visit to Taiwan. Beijing has said it would take such a visit as a provocation and warned of strong measures in response. The call took place as President Biden is seeking new ways to work with China while curbing its growing global influence. The president has been weighing whether to ease tariffs on Chinese-made goods to ease inflation in the United States. Current points of strain with China include its treatment of Uyghur Muslims, militarization in the South China Sea, and the regime's global campaign of economic and political espionage. The GDP report for the second quarter is out. It shows that the U.S. economy is shrinking. President Biden issued a statement this morning. He said it's no surprise the economy is slowing down after regaining jobs lost during the pandemic and after the economy grew last year. Next, we hear from an economist on what this report means for the state of the economy and what Americans need to know. Please welcome Vance Ginn, who is the chief economist at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thank you for making the time today, Vance. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. The recent GDP report shows that in the last three months, the U.S. economy shrank by 0.9 percent. Some say that technically this means the country is in a recession because it had two quarters in a row with negative growth. What's your reaction to this? Well, I think that the data is out there now, and we have had these two declines in real economic output for two consecutive quarters, which is the back of the envelope sort of way of defining a recession, you know, a textbook sort of definition. And I think we are in a recession, and I think Americans feel it. Whether or not this report was positive or negative for real GDP, Americans across the economy are feeling hurt. We're seeing sky-high inflation running around 9%. Even in this GDP report showed 8.9% growth rate in inflation over the last year on an annualized basis. So this is not a good report, and it's something that's come out of directly from the progressive policies out of the White House, out of Congress, and out of this Federal Reserve. We've really got to take a different direction that's pro-growth before we really kill the American dream. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says normally when you have two consecutive quarters of negative growth, that is a recession, but she was pointing out that since 400,000 jobs a month are being created, it's not a recession. What do you make of this? Well, I would disagree with the Secretary Yellen. I mean, you know, the the labor market is a lagging indicator in the overall economy. First, what happens is you lose production by businesses. They start to cut back. They start to raise prices. They don't want to just go out and start firing workers right away. That usually happens later. And so we're starting to see some of that already. And small businesses have been cutting jobs in three of the last four months. Small business confidence right now is the lowest in 48 years. Consumer confidence is the lowest in more than a decade, even worse than the recession that we had in 2020 with the shutdowns. We are clearly in a recession, and it's from their direct policies of those like Secretary Yellen, which really they want to do is deflect. They don't want to call this a recession because it really shows that their policies have failed, and they have failed. 
So, Vance, do we need a panel of economists eggheads somewhere to tell us if we're in a recession? I mean, what are the American people feeling? We don't. We don't. Uh, I'm just one of those eggheads. <laughs> and I, you know, I've been saying it's a recession for a while now and that we're going to have persistent inflation, just given all the things that have been going on. And then now, you know, Congress is trying to dump another 700 plus billion dollars worth of spending between the CHIPS Act and then this Inflation Raising Act they're trying to pass. Uh, I really hope that we can kill those bills, because if we don't, it's going to lead to more deficit spending and then gives more ammunition for the Fed to print more money. At the same time that Biden is overregulating the economy, and what that means is too much money chasing too few goods, so we're going to have higher inflation and even less economic growth. This is a recipe for disaster. It's got to really go in the opposite direction. Okay, so Vance, we got a strong jobs growth report. We got a shrinking economy, high inflation. What do Americans need to know right now? Well, I think Americans need to look back and look at their own budgets. And this is something Congress should do too. But they need to look at their own budget, come up with priorities of where they need to spend those dollars because it could be a tough sailing for a little while. And look, it's going to end up getting better before it gets worse if we look at past recessions. But I'm hopeful that we can come up with pro-growth policies by the by Congress. And the Fed will, you know, retighten the money supply so we can get inflation down. That's what they really have control over. And although it might feel a little worse for a short period of time, if families go out there and budget wisely, do what's best for their own family, then we can be in a better situation to let people prosper after this downtime is over. Well, Vance Ginn, Chief Economist at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, thank you so much for your analysis. Thank you for having me. Lawmakers are reacting after Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer yesterday announced a surprise deal on health, energy, and taxes. It appears to be a revised alternate version of the Build Back Better bill. Entity's Jessica Beatty reports. Democrat lawmakers are praising the new deal struck by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senator Joe Manchin. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said it's welcome news for House Democrats. Senator Tina Smith tweeted, stunned, but in a good way. Republicans, on the other hand, not so pleased. Senator Marsha Blackburn called it Build Back Broke. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell tweeted that the package contains giant tax hikes that would kill thousands of American jobs. The new spending package is called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Manchin and Schumer say the bill will make a historic down payment on deficit reduction to fight inflation, invest in domestic energy production and manufacturing, and reduce carbon emissions by roughly 40 percent by 2030. They said it'll also allow Medicare to negotiate for prescription drugs and lower health care costs for Americans. According to a summary of the bill, total investments add up to $433 billion. That includes $369 billion in energy security and climate change programs over 10 years, and $64 billion to extend the expanded Affordable Care Act program for federal subsidies of health insurance for three years through 2025. The New Deal seeks to generate $739 billion in new revenue over 10 years. A big chunk of that would come from increasing the corporate minimum tax to 15 percent. That's expected to raise $313 billion. Prescription drug pricing reform is expected to raise $288 billion, the rest comes from IRS tax enforcement and closing the carried interest loophole. They say that would leave over $300 billion to reduce federal deficits over the next 10 years. So will the Inflation Reduction Act reduce inflation? William McBride from the Tax Foundation says he doesn't think so. 
He says reducing the deficit and upping taxes for businesses won't necessarily reduce inflation. Instead, he suggested pursuing pro-growth tax reforms and reining in spending. Schumer and Manchin expect a vote on their legislation next week. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Passing sweeping legislation on Wednesday, a group of bipartisan senators vows to boost U.S. chip production to outcompete China. But some lawmakers say there are critical errors in the bill that could subject the U.S. to CCP espionage. Entity's Iris Tao has more. The yeas are 64, the nays are 33, and the motion to concur with an amendment is agreed to. With broad bipartisan support, the Senate on Wednesday finally greenlighting a long-awaited semiconductor bill. But this is one of the most significant long-term thinking bills we've passed in a very long time. Now known as the Chips and Science Act, the $52 billion bill aims to address a chip shortage in the U.S. and reduce reliance on China. This is a bad day for President Xi and the Chinese Communist Party. And a group of bipartisan senators calling today's move a big step toward recognizing CCP threats. The slumbering giant that is America has finally awakened to the challenge that we face from the People's Republic of China, their aggressive posture in the region, and the potential they would have of cutting off our access to advanced semiconductors. But others say the bill is still too weak on China. In a Wednesday statement, Republican Senator Marco Rubio calls out Senate Democrats for blocking his amendments seeking to counter Beijing's espionage and intellectual theft. He writes, quote, no one should be surprised when we hear stories of Beijing stealing U.S. technology funded by this bill or companies producing more chips in China even as they receive money from the taxpayers. And Senator Maria Kentwell responds by telling NTD that this bill focuses on innovation while other actions are still being discussed. So we're very confident in this, very, in this first step. Uh, the conference could include other language. And after passing in the Senate, the legislation is now moving to the House, where Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said it does have the support for passing. And other key lawmakers have also said they could send the bill to Biden's desk by the end of this week. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. A Shanghai semiconductor company is reportedly shipping Bitcoin mining chips built with 7 nanometer technology. But concerns are rising over the device's possible military applications. Here's more. A Shanghai-based microchip maker reportedly made a leap in developing its production technology. According to industry analysis from Tech Insights, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corp., or SMIC, is shipping Bitcoin mining chips built with 7 nanometer technology. That's two generations ahead of its established 14 nanometer technology. Nanometers are used as a measure of a semiconductor's complexity. The smaller the number, the more advanced the chips that can be made. The semiconductors are vital to every defense application from drones to hypersonic missiles. Uh, they're driving the global digital economy, everything from artificial intelligence to wind turbines or electric vehicles or solar panels. The recent development jump by SMIC has largely come as a surprise. The U.S. has curbed unlicensed sales of semiconductor-making equipment to China since late 2020. The rule covers machines that can make chips 10 nanometers and smaller. So China's progress is casting doubt on whether Washington's control measures have proven effective. 
SMIC previously claimed it's been working on more advanced technologies since 2020, but the ability to make 7 nanometer chips despite those heavy sanctions has prompted concerns. In particular, over Beijing's drive to modernize its military. Every single weapons platform that exists in the world today has a brain. And that's the brain is a semiconductor. And the more effective semiconductors that a nation has domestically available is going to find their way into defense applications. Uh, absolutely. As for how the Chinese firm gained the ability, Tech Insights suggests that SMIC's 7 nanometer chips may have copied the world's leading semiconductor giant, Taiwan's TSMC. Tech Insights reverse-engineered the SMIC chip as part of its analysis. It reported that initial images suggest it is a close copy of TSMC 7 nanometer process technology. That's strong evidence to back TSMC, which has sued China's SMIC twice for allegedly copying its technology. Dozens of former Republican and Democratic officials are set to announce a new national political party. It's an appeal to the millions of voters who polls say are dismayed with America's two-party system. The new party is called Forward and will initially be co-chaired by former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang and former New Jersey Republican Governor Christine Todd Whitman. Party leaders will hold a series of events in two dozen cities this fall to roll out their platform and attract support. They will host an official launch in Houston in September. Leaders of the new party told Reuters they are in talks with multiple current Republican and Democratic members of Congress about defecting to forward. They declined to give exact numbers or names. Party leaders cite a 2021 poll showing that a record number of Americans favor a third party. In the past, third parties in America's two-party system have often tried and failed to gain momentum. They have occasionally impacted presidential elections, though. Now we turn to Wisconsin. The election commission for the state is highlighting concerns that city clerks raised. It said they made 22 voter fraud referrals related to the 2020 election over the past two years. A report from the commission's meeting on July 22nd showed voter fraud referrals were made 10 times. Last year, it listed 12 cases. Most of the complaints this time involve people double voting, once in person and once by mail. Others were for impersonating another voter and double voting in two different cities. A similar pattern was reported in a commission meeting in June 2021. It shows that most of the 12 referrals in that report stem from double voting in two cities. A Wisconsin group concerned about election integrity uncovered evidence of what they say could lead to proof of systemic voter fraud in the 2020 election. Entities Arlene Richards spoke to the group's attorney about Wisconsin's no-vote guardianship order. Under Wisconsin law, state courts must provide election officials with a list of people declared incompetent to vote by what's called a no-vote guardianship order. Then, under the law, election officials must check off the word incompetent in the data field of their WisVote database. This prevents identified people from being registered as active voters. But the Wisconsin Voter Alliance, a group concerned about election integrity, interviewed nursing home residents deemed incompetent and found out two of them voted in the 2020 election. The group's attorney, Eric Cardell, says one thing led to another. That the Wisconsin Elections Commission was not maintaining in the WISVOTE database an accurate identification of those people who are wards under no vote guardianship orders. 
And then that led to administrative complaints against the Wisconsin Election Commission. Cardall said once a voter's name is listed in the statewide voter database, it's never removed. And so what was horrifying for us was in the snapshot of the database taken November 10th, 2020, one week after the election, there are only about 800 people that were identified as incompetent and only one in the whole city of Milwaukee. The question, he said, is why? He reached out to all 72 counties in the state asking for court registers of no-vote guardianship orders. Only 13 counties cooperated. The number of no-vote guardianships registered in 13 counties were 20 times higher than those identified in the WISVOTE database. Cardall explained how nursing home residents under no-vote guardianship could still be voting. The director of activities receiving the absentee ballots and basically making sure they're all filled out. Because when the nursing home activities director is going to vote all the ballots, you know, it's an extra step to go check to see in the business office who's under guardianship or not. But Wisconsin Election Commission is in the position to stop it. Cardall said he believes his investigation will reveal systemic statewide voter fraud. We reached out to the commission, but we didn't hear back from them before broadcast time. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Coming up, a U.S. defense contractor and his wife are charged with identity theft and conspiring against the government. Prosecutors are seeking to have the couple held without bail. Find out more right here on NTD News. In L.A. County, COVID numbers are going up, which means people might soon have to mask up. County officials are considering a mask mandate. It comes as the BA5 Omicron variant spreads there. But some city leaders are pushing back against the mandate. An indoor masking mandate could be brought back to L.A. County on Friday. Public health officials say that's only going to happen if COVID numbers don't go down. With no significant decreases in cases or hospital admissions. We'll go ahead and implement universal indoor masking on Friday, July 29th. The county officials are battling a backlash from both businesses and city leaders that have a final decision. Everybody has their mask off while they're eating and drinking. Then what is the point? It's like a mandate of full of Swiss cheese holes. It's like pointless. Officials of Long Beach, Pasadena and El Segundo looked at their COVID numbers and said they wouldn't follow the order to implement a mask mandate. In Pasadena, officials say COVID-19 confirmed case rates have declined for about 10 days and local hospitalization metrics have not continued to increase during that time. The Beverly Hills City Council was the first to vote not to enforce the potential mandate. The mayor says it's about people's right to choose. This is not a message to tell people don't don't wear a face covering. What we're saying is, you know, you have the choice in terms of wearing a face covering or not, um, but we're not going to be uh, enforcing it primarily. She added that out of all public comments they received on the issue, 96% said they don't want the mask mandate. No, I'm not happy about the fact because we've been um, going through this for two and a half years now, and I feel like at this point in the game that it should be a personal choice whether or not you want to wear the mask. From an economical point of view, the mask mandate isn't a good idea, according to the county's business federation. Let's not trample on people's choice of how they want to navigate this. Let's not isolate LA County from all the other counties around us. Let's not create economic havoc. The decision whether or not the mandate will start on Friday will be made one day earlier on Thursday.
A $588 million bridge in L.A. closed down two weeks after opening. The bridge stretches from the Boyle Heights neighborhood to downtown Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Police Department says it was closed due to illegal activity. About 12 hours after the LAPD announced the closing, it announced it was reopening again on Wednesday morning. At the meeting, the LAPD chief said that since it opened, the bridge has become a place where people are going to gather and conduct exhibitions. He was making reference to individuals taking over the bridge. They carry out dangerous car stunts that often end in injuries and collisions. Spectators have also climbed on the bridge's arches. The police chief said the incidents are drawing limited resources away from more pressing duties. The LAPD says the bridge has been closed down several times since it opened earlier this month, including every night over the past weekend. A U.S. defense contractor and his wife allegedly lived for decades under the identities of two dead Texas children. Now they've been charged with identity theft and conspiring against the government. Entity's Andrew Thomas reports. Walter Glenn Primrose and Gwyn Darrell Morrison allegedly lived for decades under the names Bobby Edward Fort and Julie Lynn Montague. They were arrested Friday on the island of Oahu in Hawaii. It was happened started in the morning, like, you know, 8 in the morning, and there was, like, a bunch of cars, like, three or four Cadillacs and, like, cars that I didn't normally see parked in the street, and then there were people just um, with cameras and, like, suitcase or bag, and then um, I saw FBI in one of their shirts. Prosecutors are seeking to have the couple held without bail. They are accused of fraudulently obtaining driver's licenses, passports, and Defense Department credentials. Those documents helped Primrose get secret security clearance with the U.S. Coast Guard and as a defense contractor. Old photos show the couple wearing KGB uniforms. Lawyers for the couple declined to comment. A bail hearing is scheduled Thursday in U.S. District Court. She was always friendly. She just, and, you know, she gave us food, and sometimes for Christmas they'd give, you know, past, you know, like, you know, neighborly kind of type gifts and stuff, but they kind of kept to themselves for the most part. They built Bobby's to do the yard and he just wore headphones and he just kept to himself and, you know. Primrose served in the Coast Guard from 1994 until 2016, when he began work for a defense contractor at the U.S. Coast Guard Air Station at Barbers Point. The State Department declined to comment on the arrests. The couple is charged with conspiracy to commit an offense against the U.S., false statement and passport application, and aggravated identity theft. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. The NYPD released security video of the suspects in the armed robbery of a Brooklyn pastor during his Sunday sermon. Police say they're looking for three unidentified people. They received a report of three people entering the Leaders of Tomorrow Church with firearms on Sunday. They took jewelry and personal items from Pastor Lamore Miller Whitehead and his wife. Whitehead, who goes by the title bishop, told police more than a million dollars in jewelry was taken. A live stream from the service shows at least one person holding a gun on the pastor and interrupting his sermon. Police say the suspects raised guns at deacons at the door as well, and about 20 to 25 people were in attendance. The suspects reportedly took off in a vehicle. The victim is offering a $50,000 reward for information leading to arrests of the suspects. Police say their investigation is ongoing. Police say a man committed two brazen home invasion robberies, then he stole an Amazon delivery truck and crashed into multiple cars and led authorities on a chase throughout a Southern California city. The pursuit began Monday when officers responded to reports of two robberies at a mobile home park in Riverside, east of Los Angeles. Police said Tuesday the man carjacked an Amazon vehicle and fled the mobile home park. 
Officers were able to use GPS tracking to locate the stolen truck. He then led them on a chase through Riverside. He drove over a median and crashed into parked and occupied cars before driving onto State Route 60. After intentionally crashing into three more cars, the man ditched the van. He ran across freeway traffic before he was finally arrested when he tried to climb a barrier wall. The man could face charges including attempted murder, home invasion robbery, carjacking, assault with a deadly weapon, reckless evading of police, and driving under the influence. He was held on a $1 million bail. No serious injuries for any of the victims who were reportedly attacked, robbed, and struck by the suspect. Officials say two people died and 10 were injured when an SUV rolled over in southeastern New Mexico about eight miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. The condition of another person in the car is unclear. The Chevy Tahoe crashed around 4.45 a.m., about 13 miles northwest of El Paso, Texas. New Mexico State Police confirmed the two fatalities. They did not respond to requests for comment on whether police were pursuing the SUV when the rollover happened. The Mexican consulate in El Paso said that nine of the injured people were Mexican and that it is providing assistance to them. Authorities did not identify the people in the SUV as immigrants. However, the stretch of border where the crash happened is a location where illegal immigrants are often smuggled from Mexico in SUVs. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's potential trip to Taiwan is drawing threats from Beijing, but Washington is not backing down. And China's growing space capabilities are raising alarm in America. What's the concern? Find out more in just a minute right here on NTD News. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's potential Taiwan visit is drawing threats from the Chinese regime, but the U.S. military has a plan in place to support the trip. And today's Tiffany Meyer has more. More updates on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's potential visit to Taiwan. The plan is still undetermined. The Chinese Communist Party is trying to raise stakes for the U.S. if Pelosi goes through with her visit to the democratically ruled island, which Beijing claims as its own. In a news conference on Tuesday, a spokesperson for the Chinese Defense Ministry said, quote, if the U.S. side is bent on going its own way, the Chinese military will never sit idly by and will take strong measures. But Washington is not backing down. U.S. officials told the Associated Press that they have little fear that China would attack Nancy Pelosi's plane if she flies to Taiwan. The U.S. military would also increase its movement of forces and assets in the region. Though a pro-Beijing Chinese commentator speculated that Beijing could send fighter jets over the island of Taiwan. Hu Xijing is the former editor of the Global Times, a state-backed newspaper known for publishing pro-Beijing content. In an article on Monday, he threatened Chinese military action toward the U.S., writing, quote, if a U.S. aircraft carrier provocatively approaches the island of Taiwan at this time, the PLA will certainly send sufficient military forces to confront it, and shore-based missiles will be aimed at U.S. warships. In the event of a maritime conflict between the U.S. and China, the U.S. carrier fleet would be wiped out. The PLA stands for the People's Liberation Army, the formal name for China's military. Despite the Chinese opposition, a Democratic lawmaker said Pelosi should not back down. No, she should not. I respect Speaker Pelosi. I mean, we're not going to let 
the Chinese Communist Party dictate where the Speaker of the House should go. Uh, Taiwan is an economic partner with us. That doesn't mean that her going there is somehow not recognizing the one China policy. She should absolutely go. And we need to speak out uh, on human rights issues in China. And we need to speak out about the trade deficit in China. So I fully support her going. Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen has already welcomed a number of foreign delegations to the island, seeing it as a way to counter China's diplomatic isolation. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says he's given a security assessment to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on her possible upcoming visit to the self-governing island of Taiwan. I talk to her uh, on a fairly routine basis uh, and provide her, provided her my assessment of the security situation. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, and there have been other uh, members of, uh, of my staff and the joint staff that have, have uh, briefed uh, the speaker as well. Austin said he remains concerned about the aggressiveness of the Chinese Communist Party and what's been going on in the region lately. I remain concerned, and you've heard me say this before, about the uh, aggressiveness of the PRC and, uh, and the kinds of things that we've been seeing uh, in the region uh, lately. Uh, and so I think we have to be vigilant, uh, you know, throughout, uh, even as we're operating in, the, in, the, in that region. Other administration officials have shared their concerns about Pelosi's security during the trip and China's response to such a high-profile visit. The Chinese regime's Ministry of National Defense said Pelosi's trip should be canceled. China's growing space development is a threat to America. That's according to U.S. Space Force General John Raymond. Why is it a concern? NTD's Chenny Wu has the story. The competition between the U.S. and China is extending beyond the Earth into outer space. At the Aspen Security Forum last week, U.S. Chief of Space Operations General John Raymond called Beijing's increasing capability in outer space a threat to the U.S. Uh, the first thing that they're doing is they're building space capabilities for their own use. So just like we've enjoyed space capabilities that we've been able to integrate, uh, China has built uh, a space program to do the same thing. Uh, that provides them advantage and that provides risk to our forces. Space is a critical domain for competition between world powers. That's because virtually all of the world's most vital systems, from GPS to missile defense to international banking verification, are space-based. And Raymond says that space is getting more congested and contested. Both China and Russia see space as a must for winning modern wars. U.S. intelligence says they've been working to undercut U.S. space development. Beijing has been catching up fast, now to the point that its space capabilities are almost on par with Washington's. China has gone from zero to 60 very quickly, uh, and they are clearly uh, our pacing challenge. Raymond says China is working to develop technologies that could seize the military, civil or commercial advantage. That's as outer space plays a bigger and bigger role on the world stage. Asked if he sees China is acting more aggressively in space. I would say on the conflict side or war side, it's just war. And some people, some nations might choose to fight war on the air, in the land, in the sea, now in space. And so I don't think there's a, a set game plan that says they're going to start here and do this and do this. But it's clearly a domain that could provide them advantage as well. Another challenge is that since space exploration and technology is relatively new, what nations can or cannot do isn't fully established. 
uh, we are really working hard to um, kind of the rules-based order, if you will, in space. And today, one of the challenges is there are no rules, or very few rules. It's the wild, wild west. For one, Raymond brought up the issue of space debris. He said in 2007, China conducted a missile test that blew up a satellite, turning it into around 3,000 pieces of debris. The U.S. and its allies have refrained from those kinds of tests, since the long-lasting debris could damage other satellites and be a danger to astronauts. To that end, Raymond said that establishing rules of the road for the international community is vital to securing space and that if there's an international framework, China's hostile actions in space could be measured and recorded. Chen Wu, NTD News. Still to come, as Russia cuts its gas supplies to Europe further, citizens are concerned over gas rationing and surging energy costs this coming winter. And the Chinese regime is sending troops and tanks to participate in Russia's international army games. One of the events will take place closer to the United States. We'll have all that and more for you after the short break. Ukrainians are receiving Russian passports. That's happening right now in a region of eastern Ukraine that was occupied by Russian forces nearly five months ago. Russian officials in Kherson say over 2,300 Russian passports have been handed out so far, and more than 11,000 people have applied for one. 300 passport applications are processed per day across the region. Application papers often include Soviet-era birth documents. Ukraine and the White House say this is an illegal effort by Moscow to annex territory. Russian-installed officials say locals will vote on whether the region will become part of Russia or not. They say they expect the region to vote in favor of becoming part of Russia. Ukraine says such a vote would be illegitimate. Ukraine wants to take the area back by force. Russia delivered less gas to Europe on Wednesday in a further escalation of an energy standoff between Moscow and the European Union. There are fears in Europe that Russia will completely cut off flows. We hear from citizens in Germany and Italy who are concerned over gas rationing this winter. And today's Trevor Piper has more. As expected, state-controlled Russian energy giant Gazprom on Wednesday halved the amount of natural gas flowing through a major pipeline from Russia to Europe to 20% of capacity. The move has raised new fears that Russia could completely cut off gas to try and gain political leverage over Europe. And it comes one day after EU members agreed to reduce their gas consumption. Ministers approved a plan for all member countries to voluntarily cut gas use by 15% from August, with compromise deals to reduce the cuts for some countries. On the streets of Munich, people are concerned about how gas cuts will impact the coming winter. It affects everything, completely, totally. The hospitals are partly heated with gas, the public facilities, that is fatal. And there are actually no alternatives where you can get gas at the moment. Thank goodness we have a tiled stove as an alternative. We will then use it and freeze. Yes, I'm a little afraid, and I'm already saving gas that I don't need. Hot water. But you know, if you get too crazy, then you don't have a life anymore. And I trust the politicians. They will sort it out. Gazprom cited issues with a turbine as being behind the cut, while Germany's economic ministry said it saw no technical reason for the flows to be curtailed. 
In Rome, despite the heat of summer, residents were troubled about the price of energy this winter. I'm absolutely worried about winter because it will be the worst time because gas prices have risen disproportionately. I live in a very large house with several floors and heating it all becomes problematic. But the cold temperatures keep you young. Some are not just concerned for Italy. I'm a bit worried for the whole world. Prices are increasing. People are trying to live a normal life as much as they can. But it is becoming increasingly more difficult. The increasing prices, the war, with everything that is happening. Gas prices have surged to levels not seen since early March and are nearly six times higher than they were a year ago. Moscow provided 40% of EU gas before its invasion and has reduced or cut off natural gas to 12 EU countries since then. Trevor Piper, NTD News. China is sending troops, tanks and vehicles to Russia's August Army Games, a routine event from 2015 and attracting some new participants this year. Let's take a closer look. Chinese troops are on their way to Moscow for Russia's August International Army Games. Chinese state broadcaster CCTV reports the Chinese delegation includes personnel, military tanks and other vehicles. The forces recently started their train ride from Inner Mongolia, heading toward Russia's Far East. The Russian event has a nickname, the War Olympics. Started in 2015, the Games are led by Russia's Defense Ministry. This year's event is expected to attract almost 40 countries and regions across the world, including Russia, Iran, India, Venezuela and China. Venezuela will host the sniper competition, which will mark the first time the Russian-led exercises are staged in the Western Hemisphere. Washington-based think tank, the Center for a Secure Free Society, released a report saying the decision is for China, Russia, Iran and Venezuela to, quote, pre-position forward deployed military assets in Latin America and the Caribbean. And also for the first time, two African countries will participate in the August Games. China has been regularly taking part in the Games since the event's debut. The country will also host three competitions this year as part of it, including a frigate race. China and Russia have intensified joint military exercises since 2005, especially in the last few years. That's including drills by the Air Force and Navy. Israel published images of weapons depots and tunnels in Gaza. It accused the Palestinian militant group Hamas of deliberately hiding them in civilian areas. Military drone footage and coordinates show tunnels and weapons production sites in densely populated civilian areas. Here's NTD's Kost Temenes with more on this. Images published Wednesday show weapons depots and tunnels in Gaza near a school, a Pepsi factory and other civilian buildings. Other sites include a UN-run school, a medical clinic, a library and mosques. The Israeli military accuses Hamas, the radical Islamist group that governs the Gaza Strip, of hiding them in densely populated areas. We have revealed with evidence and can prove that military sites for the Hamas terrorist group are inside the civilian areas in Gaza, close to mosques, schools and hospitals adding that they built terrorist tunnels under the civilian neighborhoods, exposing the innocents to danger. Hamas rejected the statement. Gaza is an area where some 2.3 million people live on a patch of 140 square miles. It has been a constant point of conflict since Hamas took control of the area in 2007. 
Israel has fought five conflicts with Gaza since 2009. The most recent was an 11-day war in May 2021, killing over 250 Palestinians, 13 Israelis, and wounding thousands. Israeli military officials say Israel had a joint strategy of supporting economic opportunities for Gazans, including work permits, allowing several thousand to work in Israel, while maintaining strict military readiness to intervene. Cost MNS, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, Estonia had the highest level of inflation in the Eurozone in June. To cope with the price surge, some residents adjusted their daily habits. And Turkey's opposition party blames the country's current administration for a desolate amusement park in Turkey's capital. The park cost hundreds of millions of dollars to build. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Welcome back. In June, Estonia saw the highest level of inflation in the Eurozone. According to what the Stats Office of the EU said on Tuesday, prices in the Baltic country increased by 22%. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Prices for the essentials have increased significantly. Most uh, increased products are potatoes, for example, 127% and oil and eggs and the meat and, uh, and uh, cheese and milk. Shoppers in Estonia say buying groceries is becoming more of a hardship. To cope with the price surge, Tallinn residents are adjusting their shopping and transportation habits. Tanu Levak said he can no longer afford to buy Estonian produce, so he's switching to cheaper imported goods. I could always apply for a better job and maybe get more money and, and all that, but I think it's most difficult for everyone who's like a pensioner or, or a student or anyone who's on a fixed income. I think it's in a very difficult situation. At the moment. IT specialist Gerda Tilk has made some changes to cut costs as well. Well, I don't drive the car as much as I used to because uh, I just bought myself a bike, so I go around with the bicycle. <laughs> Uh, and also I try to kind of like see what's on like uh, discounts in shops and stuff. So you try to find your ways to compensate for it. Russia's relationship with the West is also having an impact. We've seen that uh, the gas prices went up uh, in last autumn uh, at the same time when the refugees were on the uh, Polish and Lithuanian border. Then the second hike was in December. Then uh, Putin uh, made his warnings to NATO. And, of course, the, the third one was just after the war broke out. And it's difficult to predict how the country will recover from inflation compared with neighboring countries. It might be so that we, at, at some point, we see uh, uh, slowing down inflation in the Baltics, but at the same time, inflation still stays high in the rest of the Europe. The newly sworn-in Estonian government has announced a fight against inflation as one of its main priorities. The government promised to increase the untaxed minimum income to the level of minimum wage. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. 
Next, we look at the Turkish capital of Ankara. There, a defunct amusement park housing giant dinosaurs, robot models, and decrepit fair rides can be seen. And now it is being used as a symbol of government wastefulness by the city's opposition party. Here's that story. CHP's Mayor Mansour Yavash says the dystopian atmosphere here proves that President Tayyip Erdogan's administration is squandering money. In this case, he says $801 million. Money Yavash says could have been used for more socially beneficial projects. 15,000 social housing units or 300 student dormitories could have been built to meet the need of the Ankara people. Three years ago, Erdogan opened the massive theme park called Anchor Park with great fanfare ahead of local elections. But his ruling AK party went on to lose control of the Ankara municipality at the subsequent vote. This month, after a two-year legal battle, a court ruled to transfer control of the park to the new city council run by the CHP after the loss-making project fell into disrepair. The dinosaur models that made the park famous are now falling apart and lie strewn around the abandoned weed-covered area the size of around 120 soccer fields. Yavash's comments came ahead of presidential and parliamentary elections scheduled for next June. Opinion polls show waning support for Erdogan and the AK party after nearly two decades in power. At the opening ceremony for the park, which took six years to build, Erdogan said it would earn the municipality some $10 million annually, but the operator closed it down eight months later due to severe losses. There has been little comment from AK party officials on the court move and opposition accusations of profligacy. But its deputy provincial head in Ankara has accused the mayor of sabotaging the project by letting it go bankrupt and then leaving it to rot. Yavash said the municipality will decide what to do with the park in consultation with city residents, adding that he was investigating development proposals. Coming up, brace yourself for cuteness overload, a Canadian farm boy and his endearing friendship with a unique guard animal called Snickers. We'll have that story for you in just a minute. When a family farm brought in a new guard animal to protect their alpacas, they didn't realize it had plans to adopt their toddler. We take a look at the dynamic duo. Hey, everybody. Meet the Copperts. They live on Cloud 9 Acres, an alpaca farm in Ontario, Canada. After one of their six alpacas got attacked by a neighbor's dog, Brandon and Damaris Coppert knew it was time to bring in a guard animal, an unusual guard animal. We met him and we fell in love with him. And uh, yeah, that the rest is kind of history. Snickers! You gotta go say hi. When seven-year-old Snickers arrived at the Coppert's farm, everyone was very curious about him, especially the toddler Gunner. Gunner and Snickers would just both come up to the fence and um, they would just stand there and Gunner would just pet Snickers and Snickers would just love all the attention that Gunner was giving him. He was looking for you? The donkey straight away took to their son and a sweet bond was formed. It was just so cute to see Gunner's excitement to anytime Snickers would come. Gunner always has to make sure that Snickers has his grain because we always feed the ladies their grain and Snickers has to have his grain. It's a special brush for his hair. Yeah. He learns a lot of responsibility, which is, is so nice. Um, and he passes that on to his little sister because she sees how much he enjoys doing it. 
Now, good friends, the donkey keeps watch over his young charge like a protective big brother. I just love watching their excitement—the excitement of the kids getting to see their animals and、um, taking care of them.、Um, that's probably my favorite thing. Does Snickers have a heart? Yeah, Snickers has a heart. Regularly posting updates on their social media, Damaris is told the pair's friendship brightens people's day. A lot of people say that they will come to our page first thing in the morning just to get a smile on their face. It's a win-win situation with Snickers finding a happy home abundant with cuddles and treats, and three-year-old Gunner gaining a trusted companion. A large manatee made its way back home on Wednesday after months of rehabilitation and after having flown over 1,000 miles from Texas to Florida. Rescuers say the manatee was rescued in January 2022. It spent nearly seven months recuperating from severe injuries at the SeaWorld Marine Mammal Park in San Antonio, Texas. SeaWorld Parks says the animal was in critical condition, cold stunted, emaciated, and very, very sick. Once the manatee recovered, it was time to return to its natural environment along the western coast of Florida. That's when German shipping giant DHL stepped in, transporting the large mammal via cargo plane. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said it was a total team effort. Peru's Ministry of Culture says tickets to visit Machu Picchu are sold out until mid-August. That's after local and foreign tourists protested this week because of not being able to visit one of the seven wonders of the world. In a statement on Wednesday, authorities said they have met with locals to try to find a solution to the problem. They added that the permitted capacity is already at its maximum limit. On July 17th, the Ministry of Culture officially increased the admission capacity. Now, to enter Machu Picchu, up to 4,044 people per day can be admitted until December 31st, 2022. The office said in a Facebook statement, this decision took into consideration the conservation of the property to avoid irreparable damage that comprises its outstanding universal value following the recommendations that UNESCO issues to the Peruvian state. The Ministry of Culture urged tourists to plan their visit to the Incan city well in advance. It said that would help them not to be surprised by non-existent tourist offers and to avoid the unnecessary crowds that are taking place due to the inf- misinformation generated. And in other news, a 170-carat pink diamond discovered in Angola may be the largest such gemstone found in 300 years. Angola's mines are among the world's top 10 producers of diamonds. Only one in 10,000 diamonds found are colored, and only one in every 100 diamonds is greater than about 11 carats in size. The Kappa Diamond Company said 170 carat is extremely rare. The pink gemstone is expected to be auctioned by the Angolan State Diamond Marketing Company, but they didn't give an estimate of its worth because the diamond is still being examined and valued. NASA is planning on bringing rock samples from Mars back to Earth. The mission will now include the use of two helicopters to retrieve samples, but it will take years for a spacecraft to make it to Mars and back. The Earth return orbiter launches in fall 2027, and the sample retrieval lander launches in the summer 2028. The samples are expected to arrive back on Earth in 2033. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan. NTD News, New York City.